0: Heavenly Father, we praise you for this grace, this wonderful news in the gospel message that even though we were sinners, that the Prince of Life without a stain took our place, was traded for us. Jesus, we thank you that you were raised again from the dead and live eternally, and that in you we can live forever as well. Please fill us with the Holy Spirit now as we look into your word. God. Help us to hear from you and to apply what you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're finishing up our sermon series here where we've been walking through the book of 1 Thessalonians. We started back in January and have walked through the entire book. Last Sunday we looked at the last verses of it and today we're going to do a recap or an overview or a summary. Now, if you remember, the story of 1 Thessalonians actually starts back in Acts 17. That's where we read of how Paul and Silas and Timothy brought the gospel message to Thessalonica. If you look in the back of your Bible at the map section, you might have a map of where the Apostle Paul went on his missionary journeys, and he made several stops through the city of Thessalonica. Now, amazingly, on their their first trip there, they were only there for a short time. In fact, it could be as short as three weeks that they were there. They were proclaiming the gospel. A bunch of people were responding by faith. And there was another group of people that didn't like what they were doing and caused troubles for them. And it got to the point where, where Paul, Silas, and Timothy were kicked out of Thessalonica and they had to leave. Now, it's interesting to me. In one sense, you could look at Paul and Silas and Timothy as traveling salesmen with the one important difference of they weren't selling anything they were giving the gospel away for free but think about traveling salesmen salesmen for a moment here let's say that somebody rides into town into Fergus Falls and they say that they have a hair cream a a cream that bald men can put on their head and it will regrow hair now men what would you think Um, I'm guessing wow okay (laughs) why bother why bother okay okay good um, would we have anybody that would be skeptical? Anybody besides? Yeah, of course. Uh, okay. Is, now, in, in that sense, the proof would be in the not the pudding, but the putting. The, if you were to put the cream on your head and it regrows hair, well, then you have something. But if you put that cream on your head and nothing happens, well, then you don't have really anything. Now, let's go back to First Thessalon- Excuse me, First Thessalonians. Paul, Silas, and Timothy came to Thessalonica with a message that they said would change everything. It was a message that they said would lead to eternal life, that sins would be forever wiped away because of what Jesus Christ did for us through his life and death and resurrection. Now, you could see the skeptic, perhaps in Thessalonica, or perhaps in Fergus Falls, saying, hey, hey, wait a minute, how can you just come here and tell us that, that sins are going to be wiped away in heaven? How do we know Well, there's something else that should happen through the gospel message as well, and something that that happened very powerfully in Thessalonica, and something that I want to happen in our lives as well, is that the gospel changes our lives. One of the ways I want us to look at, at this idea today is that the gospel message, yes, is a message that was powerful in the past when we received it. Amazing Things happened as we were transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God's Son, whom he loves. And yes, of course, there will be future benefits of the gospel message as we see God face to face, as we live with him in glory. But also, please, never forget this, that the gospel message has a powerful impact in our lives right now. And we saw that in Thessalonica, and I, and I, wanted to see it, I want us to see it in our lives as well. So what we're going to do today is we're going to take a look at the book of 1 Thessalonians, not every verse in it. Hopefully you've been reading it and rereading it over the past four months, and especially over this past week. Um, But today we're going to do a quick overview, and we're going to look at how the gospel comes in and makes changes, and what kind of changes should be made, and what kind of people we should be as we embrace the gospel. And in that sense, the proof will be in the pudding. As, As we embrace the gospel, we should expect to see changes in our lives, not because of how good we are, but because of how good God is at transforming hearts. So we're going to break this up into six sections today. The first section I want to look at is in chapter 1, and the, the, my title there is, The Gospel Came Powerfully. The Gospel Came Powerfully. Now, I want to read for you verses 4 through 8a. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. So again, in verse 5, Paul, Silas, and Timothy brought the gospel message to Thessalonica. And it's a message that, that we still need today. It's the message again of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ so that anyone who believes in him, who receives him as Savior and Lord, can have complete forgiveness and eternal life. Now, without the gospel, we would be dead in our sins forever. Every one of us has sinned, and every one of us would face the eternal punishment of that it being separated God forever, separated from God forever. But for all who receive Jesus as Savior and and Lord, there is life, eternal life. And again, in Thessalonica, many people received this message. They gave their lives to Jesus. In fact, it says in verses 6 through 8 that they received it in spite of suffering. That was one of the things, I've been reading this book a lot over the last four months, and the last time I read it, that was one of the things that stood out to me, was in spite of severe suffering. And I think in America, maybe we don't face a lot of that severe suffering, but just, just for a moment just think about what, under what circumstances might you be tempted to, to ditch the gospel message. If it meant losing your family, if it meant suffering for you, if it meant death for you. A- and I hope our answer would be the same in every instance that we cling to Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, whatever comes our way, in spite even of severe suffering. And it's interesting to me that that they received this message, even in spite of suffering, and they received it with joy. This world doesn't do that very well. Suffering and joy, take note of that. That as you're watching the news, suffering and joy oftentimes do not go together, but here it did. And in fact, uh, they became such an example it says they became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia but not even just there it says in verse 8 that the Lord's message rang out from them you think of a bell resounding out it says their faith in God became known everywhere they really embraced this gospel message And it had powerful results as well. You know, you think again about that traveling salesman. He came, well, you'd want to see results. Well, what kind of results did we see in Thessalonica? Well, of course, there's the results of their sins being forgiven. But again, the skeptic might say, what about something I can see? Well, look at verse 3 in chapter 1. Paul says there, We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So with the gospel came faith, hope, and love.
1: And it transformed
0: the Thessalonians such that it resulted in in work and labor and endurance. And that's the kind of life that I want us to live, that we keep trusting in Jesus Christ and we keep working hard and enduring, trusting that it'll be worth it. You ever been tempted to, to give up, excuse me, to give up, or just to take it easy, or to sit this one out? In life, let's be people who keep working, keep trusting the gospel message, keep trusting that God will empower you to do the work that He has for you. Again, there is tremendous power in the gospel message, and we should expect to see it in our lives. Think of it this way in Ephesians 1, it tells us that the same kind of power that was at work raising Jesus Christ from the dead, how much power is that on a scale of 1 to 10? Um, it's off the scale. That According to that kind of power, God is at work in us. So we should expect, as people who received the gospel at some time in the past, that, that not only do we have something to look forward to in the future, but that we have resurrection kind of power at work in us right now. So, a couple of application questions here. Have you received the gospel? If there's any of you in here and that you're all at all unsure of whether you've ever given your life to Jesus to receive him as your Savior and Lord, I just want to urge you to do that right now. As Savior, recognize that he's the one who forgives you for your sins and as Lord, recognize that he is your master and your king and your best life is the one where you totally submit to him 100% of your life given to him. And then for those of you that have already received the gospel, are you seeing God change your heart? Are you the same person that you were 50 years ago, 10 years ago, a year ago even? Or are you seeing God work in your heart to change you? And you know, maybe um, oftentimes it's said that the Christian life can be like a roller coaster. Sometimes we're up, sometimes we're down. But I would also like to think that, that we can look back at our lives and say, this is what God has done in me. And maybe you just even think about the words faith, hope, and love right now. Have you seen God produce those things in you? Or maybe it's a question of work. Are you working hard? Are you enduring? Trusting that God will give you the strength. God changes our hearts and he continues to change our hearts through the gospel message. Okay, let's move on to our second section now, which is chapter 2. And in there, we see Paul, Silas, and Timothy as model evangelists. Now, do you know what the word evangelist means? Or for that matter, do you know what the word evangelical means? We are part of the Evangelical Free Church of America, and it's not like sugar-free, where if it's sugar-free, there's no sugar in it. We're evangelical-free, but we're not free of evangelicals. We are evangelicals, and we are free. Maybe that confuses some of you. The the free. Anybody know what the free part of it means? I'm sure many of you do. Um, think back to Scandinavia, and that's where our roots are from in the EFCA and in Scandinavia there was something called a state church meaning that I I think in order to be like an official Norwegian citizen you would have to be uh, baptized in the church and and the state kind of ran the church well there were some people who said hey we don't like that we want to do church our own way we want to do church the way God says we should do it so they became free so that's what the free means now in America there aren't really any state churches um, but free for us means that we are free to govern our own affairs underneath God uh, the God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So that's what free means. But evangelical, that's where we're at here. Do you know what the word evangelical means? It comes from the word evangel, which is just a foreign word for the word gospel, which simply means good news. So evangelicals are people who believe the good news of the gospel. That, that, that's simply what it means. Some people think it's a political word. Some people think it's a word uh, used of certain people who hate other people for other beliefs. That's not what it means. The word evangelical just has to do with the Gospel, and we are people who believe it. So, this a little side note, I realize this, this has very little to do with the book of 1 Thessalonians, but um, it has to do with the Gospel, and I just wanted to clarify that, because I think it's helpful for us to just think about that every once in a while. We are evangelicals, that means we are people who believe the Gospel, and because we believe the Gospel, that means what? We want to share it with others. So the word evangelist is just simply somebody who shares the gospel with others. And by the way, that's supposed to be all of us. Every one of us who knows Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, we are commissioned by Jesus himself to go and spread this message to the people of this world, whether that means somebody in your family or your neighbor, or whether it means working hard to bring the gospel across the world. world. We are to be evangelists. And in this section, chapter 2, we see um, Paul, Silas, and Timothy being a model in evangelism it says in verse 2 that in spite of strong opposition they dared to tell the gospel the word dared implies boldness it wasn't easy for them to do it they they didn't take up this gig because it was a sweet job they they took it up because the gospel is so good and even at great cost to themselves they went and they shared this message it goes on to say how they shared it in verse 8 we love you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you've become so dear to us. So don't miss out on the love part of this. Unfortunately, the world doesn't see evangelicals as loving people. That, that saddens me deeply. Again, as people hear the word evangelical, sometimes they, they think of hatred or something else, and I, it saddens me. So let's, let's lead with love as we share the gospel, just like Paul, Silas, and Timothy. We loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you, not just the gospel, but our lives. So is your life making an impact on others? You know, it, it's, there's a caricature in my mind of some people who go out and share the gospel. Like they, they go out, they share the gospel, and then they come back. And, you know, I'm not going to fault people for the way that they share the gospel, but the way that I prefer to share the gospel is to share life with people. That I want us to get to know people so well, to love them so well, that they see Jesus in us so that when we give them the words of the gospel, they, they're more likely to understand them. Um, our best motivation is love, to tell them the truth. And it goes on, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, in their love, they acted like a, like a mother and a father to them. In verse... Seven, it says they were like a mother a gentle and caring for their children and then in verse 11 dealing with them as a father and in the next verse it talks about how they encourage, comfort, and urge them to live lives worthy of God so we like Paul, Silas, and Timothy are to care for people to love them to be gentle to urge people to know Jesus you see they came with a message that wasn't their own they came with the gospel message Many times in chapters 1 through 2 it talks about the word of God. They urged people to trust in God. They led with love. They brought the truth. They were model evangelists. So the application here, how are you doing as an evangelist? Again, it, this isn't just that very small percentage of people who you know, are out on the streets. Or uh, It's not just for pastors we are all to be evangelists. All of us who know the gospel are to proclaim the gospel to others. So how are you doing at this? A friend of mine recently set a goal that he wants to share the gospel at least once a month. And he said specifically, I want to do it in such a way that I, I urge people to receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. So he's not just, even just talking about striking up spiritual conversations with people. He says once a month, I want to get to that point where I urge somebody to place their faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, maybe that's a challenge that some of you want to take up. And it's not going to be easy, but we, in prayer, we join with God in his mission. We, we trust that his gospel is so good that it's worth telling it to other people. So, what about you? Are you actively sharing the gospel in love, trusting that God can work powerfully through you? Okay, section number three. Chapter three. Paul, Silas, and Timothy as <coughs> modeled disciple-makers. So for these three men, it wasn't a dump-and-run mission. They didn't just get into Thessalonica, share the gospel, and then leave. Actually, they were kicked out, so it happened a little bit like that. They would have loved to have stayed longer, had circumstances allowed. In fact, we see that in chapter 3. You see their longing for the people of Thessalonica. You see, they, they came and they shared the gospel, and some people believed, so there's are these, these new baby Christians there. And then Paul, Silas, and Timothy were kicked out, and they're like, Oh, I just... I so hope that they're doing well in their faith. You can imagine how much they prayed. They were wrestling in prayer for those people. And they wanted to see them again. But Paul was like the most wanted man in Thessalonica. There were probably posters of him if they had those things back then. He couldn't go back. So what did he do? In chapter 3, he sent Timothy. And he was just hoping that Timothy would come back with a good report. And that's exactly what happened in verse 6. Timothy came back with a good report. And then look at what it says in verse uh, oh, I'm sorry. There's where he sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker, in spreading the gospel of Christ. And look at this next line. To strengthen and encourage you in your faith. That's what we're to do as disciple makers. So you get what I'm saying when I say disciple makers? The, the, the first part is sharing the gospel with people, but then when they receive the gospel, we help them grow in their faith. So a disciple maker is somebody who helps others grow in their faith. And Timothy set a great example there. To strengthen and encourage people in their faith and then like I said Timothy came back with a good report and then in verse 8 Paul said for now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord so again to see how, how deeply Paul cared for these people again these people weren't just a project to him he cared deeply that they would come to Christ and he cared deeply that they would continue to grow in their faith the application here how are you doing at making disciples? How are you doing at making disciples? Um, Maybe some of you don't know how to get engaged in that, and I think one of the best tips that I have for making disciples is put yourself around people who are studying God's Word, and then look around you. So you're, you're actively involved in learning God's Word, and as you do that, you, you talk to God and say, God, who are the people around me that would benefit from doing this very thing that I'm already doing? I'm already studying God's Word. I'm already talking about God's Word with other people. Is there somebody else that I can include in this? Is, God, do you want me to invite my neighbor to my Bible study? God, do you want me to invite my coworker to come to church? God, do you want me to invite somebody out to lunch so that I can talk to them about the faith? And by the way, at Cornerstone, we have a 10-lesson series on making disciples that's designed Specifically for you to walk through with somebody else. Um, and if any of you would like to do that, please come and talk to me. Um, I'd be glad to, to walk with you through that, or I'd be glad to, to pair you up with somebody else to walk you through that. Or I'd be glad to just give it to you, and you can walk through it with somebody else as well. So, but the idea here is that we don't just keep our faith to ourselves. That we share the gospel with people, and we help people grow in their faith. Okay. Section 4, which is chapter 3, verse 12 through 4, 12. Love and holiness. Love and holiness. There are two wonderful model prayers in the book of First Thessalonians. One of them is in three twelve through 13. I want to read that right now. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your heart so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. So you see, verse 12 is a prayer for love. Verse 13 is a prayer for holiness. Let's take a look at each of those. Now, love is obviously a huge part of Christianity. God is love. We are to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. And the the word picture, I've used it many times here, the word picture I like is that that God fills us to overflowing. That that he has a never-ending supply of love. He fills us with his love. We, in return, love him and as the overflow of that love that we constantly live in we then love the people around us now it's interesting uh, the prayer here is that our love would increase again, God has a never ending supply of love so he can make our love increase it's interesting how Paul talked in chapter 4 to the Thessalonians about their love he said, now about brotherly love we do not need to write to you yet he's writing to them so Paul does that a lot by the way I don't need to do this, but I'm going to do it anyways Uh, I know you know this already, but I'm going to remind you. So I don't need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other, and in fact you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia, yet we urge you, brothers, to do so more and more. Isn't that great? You guys are doing a great job at love. Now keep doing it. And and I would say a similar thing to you, the people of Cornerstone. Uh, I, I continue to be encouraged by the reports I hear of how you love each other and what I would say to you is do so more and more it's, it's not like uh, we have a, a love chart that once we reach the top of it then we're done with it this is something that is to be ongoing in us that we are to continue to love each other more and more ok then let's move on to holiness it's interesting uh, maybe you 've noticed this, but four times in the book of First Thessalonians, the idea of being holy and blameless are paired together, or the idea of being holy and pure and, and the, the ideas are similar there. Look at chapter four, verse seven: For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life i don 't know if you 've noticed this, but there are lots of unholy things that we could do in this life i don 't know if you 've ever seen any of the people around you do anything unholy. Uh, you, I, actually, I do know that. You have seen it. And I also know that we've all seen ourselves do things that are unholy and impure. But God didn't call us to that kind of a life. So, what are we to do about it? Well, for one, we should pray about it. And that's why, again, that model prayer in chapter 3, verses 12 through 13. We pray that God would strengthen our hearts so that we would be blameless and holy. We pray that God would, would so work in our hearts that as we see those temptations, we would recognize. That's not good for me. The, the best life for me is the one in which I follow God on the path that he has for me. God didn't call us to be impure, to live, but to live a holy life. So we pray for it, and then second, following from our prayers, we avoid those things that are unholy, and we embrace the things that are holy. And if you're ever unsure about what's holy or what's unholy, you go back to step one, and you pray about it again. And then also I'd encourage you to talk to a trusted friend or a Christian leader who can help you understand if it's holy or not. But we are to live differently than the rest of the world. This world gets caught up in all sorts of impurity. Let's be different. Let's live holy lives. So application here. How are you doing at love and holiness? And are you praying for those things? Would the people around you describe you as a loving person? Would the people around you describe you as a holy person? I sure hope so. Again, this this isn't just for the spiritually elite. This is for all of us. That we are to grow in love and holiness because the gospel is so good that God will make those changes in our hearts as we listen to him, as we follow him. It's not rocket science. We were to grow in love and holiness. In fact, um, one of the things that I it really stood out to me when we were walking through this section. Think about how the Bible describes God. God is love. God is holy. Those are, I would say, two of the most important verses in the Bible. God is love. God is holy. Now think about back to Genesis one. How did God create us? He created man and woman. What? In His image. What's His image? God is love. God is holy. What does God want us to be? He wants us to be loving and holy people. So what should we do about it? We pray. We pray that God would make us love. That he would make us more loving. That he would make us more holy. And you'll be amazed at what God will do. I, I just, I'm encouraged to think that if there are any of you in, there, in, in this room right now that are thinking, oh boy, you know what? I don't think that people would say I'm a very loving person. Or boy, I think people would look at me and they would see a bunch of unholiness in me. I am encouraged to know that if you really set your mind to pray about these things, if you brought this to the front of your mind and made it your daily practice for the next couple of months to pray that God would increase your love and your holiness, that you'll see it. It it saddens me to think that, that people all over the world go to church they hear about a loving and holy God who wants us to be loving and holy, and they, their response to it is, ah, that's not me. And then they go and live their normal life, as usual. Let's not be like that. Let's trust. Do we, do, we, do we really trust in the gospel message? That message that you received sometime back in the future, that you put 100% of your hope in to save you from condemnation, to save you into eternal life. Do you believe that that same message can change you today and can increase your love and your holiness? It's the same God who is at work. He is faithful, and he will do it. Okay. Number five. Chapter four, verse 13 through 511. Jesus is coming again. It's one of the main themes as we get to the end of the book of Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, that Jesus is coming back. He came once to die for our sins, to pay our sin penalty. He's coming again to bring about the finality of our salvation. He will come again. We're told how in 4:16 through 17. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Wonderful news. Now in Thessalonica, much like in our day and age, there must have been some questions about exactly how that would happen. So Paul told them in chapter 5 verse 2 that, well, we don't know. You know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. But then, interestingly, he said in, in two verses later in verse 4, but you brothers are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. So he said it's coming like a thief but you shouldn't be surprised like a thief. So how does that work? Well, let me use an illustration here. I, I think that many of you will know who this is. That's Kevin from Home Alone, right? Yeah, everybody do it. no you don't have to do it but, um, you can if you want to um, so in the movie Home Alone Kevin's parents forgot him accidentally forgot him when they went on a long trip I think they went overseas and, and Kevin was at home and uh, kids if that ever happens to you call the police right away I think he tried to maybe they didn't believe him but um, Kevin knew also that there was a string of robberies going on in his neighborhood and he knew that, that they were checking out his house they they had figured out that he was home alone and that there was a bunch of stuff in his house that they wanted to steal. So Kevin knew that it was coming. What did he do? He prepared. He prepared a bunch of traps for those robbers who were going to come and try to take his stuff. Now, in in some ways, that's us. We are to prepare. We know that Jesus is coming again. We don't know when he's coming. But we know that he is coming again. We should prepare. Two things that we need to do to prepare, and I think you know them by now. Number one, receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord. If you haven't yet done that, you need to do it before he comes. But then the second thing is, is that we should live as his servants as we wait for him to come. You see, here's the word picture. We are servants, serving in the house of our Lord and our Master, Jesus Christ. Um, in, this, in this section it talks about how we should be alert and self-control we should be spiritually awake I, I joke, and I've joked with other pastors about this one of my favorite things that I've done as a pastor was I got to yell at you When I remember a few weeks ago I yelled the word wake up to you and the idea there is that there, there are some wicked lazy servants who might think, oh my master's gone and he might be gone for a long time and I can just kind of kick up my feet take it easy but that's not what we're supposed to do we are supposed to diligently serve our Lord and our Master Jesus Christ because when he comes back we want him to find us joyfully serving him so the application question here are you ready for the second coming of Jesus Christ have you received him as your Savior and Lord and are you constantly serving him Now, serving God doesn't have to mean full-time ministry. It means serving God at home, at work, at school, in your free time. Wherever you are, you're constantly thinking about what does God want me to do? How can I serve him? How can I love him? How can I love the people around me? And one of the other encouraging parts about this is that we know that we get to do this life with God, now and forever. That, that phrase with God that I've found over 200 times in the Bible it shows up twice in this section as well that we are to encourage each other with these words that when Jesus comes we get to be with him forever but even as we wait even as we serve him right now we get to do our life with him it's different because right now we walk by faith then it'll be face to face we will see him we will walk with him but right now as we wait please know that he is coming again Let's be prepared. Let's be awake. Let's serve Him. Okay, then the sixth section 512 through 28 Final instructions. As is often the case at the end of Paul's letters, he ends with a, a string of instructions and commands. I count 20 of them in this passage, as well as another model prayer in verse 23. Now, I just recently preached through this section, so I'm not going to belabor the point here. I really just want to remind you of a couple things. First, I want to remind you of these verses in 5:16 uh, through 18. Short, wonderful, powerful verses. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now these verses are really difficult to live out, but I want you to see them as a beautiful invitation from God to live like this. You see, we don't have to walk around as bitter or angry or constantly depressed people. We don't have to worry. Instead, we can choose to rejoice. We can choose to give thanks. And, and prayer will be key in all of this. As we keep talking with God, we'll, we'll see that He is good. Remember, I talked about just a, a couple of weeks ago. Why can we be joyful always? Because we know that God is working all things together for the good of those who love Him. That's Romans eight twenty eight, a powerful verse, a powerful one to apply to our lives. That we know that that as we walk with God, He is working things for good. So we can choose joy. We don't have to choose bitterness. We we don't have to stay in the doldrums. Now, now I get that there is a, obviously there's a time to grieve. There's a time for realism. But even in the midst of that stuff we can have a joy and a peace that surpasses our understanding because we trust that God is with us. And as we live like that by faith, rejoicing and giving thanks and, and praying always what's God going to do? He's going to change our hearts. That's one of the things that I want you to see in this, in this sermon series. is like, that God changes our hearts as we meet with him. And he does that again through prayer, so I want to get back to prayer. I mentioned that there was a model prayer in 3.12-13. There's another one here in 5.23. And by the way, one of the, the great applications you could get from the book of First Thessalonians is take these prayers and incorporate them into your prayer life. This one in 5.23 says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you, or that just means make you holy, through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, I mentioned there's a connection four times in the book of First Thessalonians, these ideas of being holy and blameless. So here's one of them. God wants us to be holy and blameless. What should we do? We should pray about it, right? And of course, as we're praying and as God puts things on our minds, he might, he might tell us, hey, that thing you're doing, that's not holy. So, so we avoid it. Or as we're praying about holiness, God might say, well, if you want to be holy, here's something that you should be doing. And then by faith, we engage in that. Whatever it is, whatever God leads us into. Pray for God to do his wonderful work in your life. And then here's my conclusion. The gospel is a powerful message. Throughout this sermon series, I've been trying to remind you that the gospel will have a powerful impact. And there are two ways in which the gospel has a powerful impact. First, the gospel will have a very powerful impact in our lives if we allow it to take root. That is, for those of us who have received Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, we don't just receive the gospel and then set it aside. No, we receive it and then we continue to live according to it. Just like it says in our benediction verses, uh, we are to receive Christ Jesus as Lord and... Continue to walk with him. God will continue to do powerful, powerful things in our hearts, in our lives to change us, to make us more like Jesus. He'll give us that faith and that hope and that love that will strengthen us to work and to labor and to endure. He will give us all we need to keep serving him as we wait for Jesus to come again. And then secondly, the gospel will have a very powerful impact in the lives of people around us as we spread it so here is where we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world we're like a city on a hill and we know that we have the message that changes eternity so we pray we tell God that we want to join with him as he uses us as his mouthpiece as he uses us as his hands and his feet to show the love of Christ to people we share the gospel message with people trusting that it can change their hearts as well now, sometimes that seed falls on rocky soil. I'm not saying that every time we share the gospel we see tremendous results, but I am saying that the gospel will have a very powerful impact in the lives of people around us if we spread it, because God, the same God who told us that sometimes the birds come and pick up that seed and snatch it away, the same God also told us that sometimes that seed falls on fertile soil and it produces a crop 30, 60, or 100 times what was sown. Now, think about that. Do you want to have that kind of an impact in the lives of people around you? Would, you? would you not be encouraged if you shared the gospel with somebody and they embraced it and they led a hundred people to Christ throughout the rest of their life? That can really happen. It could happen today. The, the start of that process could happen today as we share the gospel message. One of the reasons I picked the book of First Thessalonians to study is because I wanted us to remember to live on mission our mission statement here at Cornerstone is a passion to know Christ commission to make him known I see us doing pretty well with that passion to know Christ I want us to do a little bit better at that commission to make him known and I'm pointing at myself in that as well by the way um, a, a colleague of mine said that um, how did he phrase it I have a, a holy dispassion for the people that aren't coming to Christ meaning that I'm, I'm always a little upset at the people who aren't coming to Christ, I'm not upset, upset at them I'm upset at myself and the lack of effort that I put into it I, I want more and more people to come to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, and I want us to do that sort of thing together so let's pray about this, let's live our lives on mission, let's trust that the gospel is such good news that it is worth sharing with other people So the gospel, let's embrace it in our own lives. Let's share it with others. Let's join in on this powerful mission that God has for us. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for the gospel message. Thank you, Jesus, for bringing it, for for dying on the cross for our sins, for rising again victoriously so that all who believe in you have eternal life. God, we thank you also for the Holy Spirit to fill us and to strengthen us to continue to live with you and to continue to share your gospel message. God, would you help us to live holy and blameless lives? Would you help us to love those around us so much that we share the gospel with them? Would you help us to serve Jesus as we wait for him to come again? God, thank you for what you've already done in our hearts and in our lives and we continue to yield ourselves to you 100% submission. That's what we want, God, as we as we walk with you and as we wait for the second coming of Jesus. Please strengthen us to live for you. And God, we pray that your gospel would have its powerful impact in this world. As we and the rest of your children around the world join with you in sharing that message, God, would you please build your church? Would you draw people to Jesus and produce that harvest? And God, we thank you for that time when you'll collect your harvest and bring us to be with you forever. We look forward to that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.